Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricketer. And would you believe it? Australia has pulled another rabbit out of the hat to defeat India. A few days later, I think we're all still in disbelief. Today we're going to dissect everything from all of the pitch drama leading into the game. What went wrong for India? What did they need to do in order to win this final? How did Australia win the game? Was it pure luck or was Pat Cummins a tactical genius that none of us saw Cummins? Pardon the pun. What does this mean for all of the ageing stars like Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli and the rest of the Indian team? So let's start with the pitch. The reality is that we don't know whether it was actually doctored or not, but if it was, that was not the pitch that they should have asked for. They should have asked for an absolute road where we know that the Australian players just can't keep up with the Indian batsmen, would have been able to post a high 400 score, or if they were chasing, you know, get behind King Coley and chase down whatever target they had in front of them. The other option was for an absolute dust bowl, or as I like to call it, a mud road, and use the Indian spinners to spin a web around the Australians. Either way, the pitch was the pitch, so what could India have done better with this pitch? Firstly, they had to bat smarter and not harder. I was really disappointed in the way Shubman Gill and Rohit Sharma threw away their wickets. Rohit was on fire and there was no need for Shubman to try up the ante as well. Playing a runner ball second fiddle is an art every opening batsman needs to learn to do. I think Shubman will take a lot of learnings out of that innings. When you look at the history of the game, you very rarely get two firecracker openers doing well together. Think some of the greatest partnerships of all time. You think Gilchrist Hayden. Hayden was a bit slower than Gilly. Jasuri Atapattu, we both know who the faster player was there. Gibbs and Kirsten, once again, you know, Herschel Gibbs was an absolute dynamic player and Kirsten was more an accumulator. But they worked, they worked for a reason. The closest to two firecrackers were probably Shebag and Tendulkar, and maybe Warner and Finch. But even then, you'd argue both Sachin and um, Finch, it took more time to settle in than their partner and complemented the fast starter, then try to keep up with them and always try to slog as well. As a young man, I think Gill's going to learn a lot from this game because he was in when it was best to bat on that pitch. I think there will be a little bit of him forever thinking how much did he contribute to this loss. But you know, life goes on and it's important that he learns from it and leads India to future victories rather than dwell on it forever. I also want to be critical of Rohit Sharma here. He was leading from the front, doing all the right things, But players of these modern generations need to learn that when you have two boundaries in an over, within the first three balls, you need to consolidate the rest of the over to win that over. For me, a game of cricket is like a war which has 100 mini battles, and then whoever wins most of these battles will ultimately win the war. You know, probably not true all the time, because you can get a Lassit Malinga getting four in four and just finishing off the game, or a Brett Lee coming in and taking a hat trick and all these things. But for me, Rohit got carried away with his leading from the front mentality. He didn't think about the bigger picture. He didn't think of the war in front of you. He was already doing a great deal of leading from the front anyway, and he just tried to overdo it. All of a sudden, two down, things were starting to get interesting. And for anyone who has followed Australian cricket, we knew what the script was. 
They were going to put the squeeze on, create pressure, start picking off the wickets one by one. It got bloody interesting, and I reckon there was a country with one billion plus people getting really nervous just about now. In the back of everyone's mind, there was a bit of doubt about Shreya's ability to play quality fast bowling. Let's be honest, we were all thinking it. Only average in 30 against the Australians, this was always going to be one of the crucial battles as well. He was coming off 100 against New Zealand, so, you know, but the reality is it was never going to be easy against Australia. Nothing ever is easy against Australia, especially if you're susceptible against fast bowling. They will pound in on you, they will expose you, they will test you out as well. Not too many countries have fast bowling lineups where everyone can bowl 140 plus and, you know, three different specializations. For some reason, you know, the fast bowlers in Australia keep tend to grow on trees and for Shreya's IR, he wasn't able to get on to his innings at all. Similar to the South Africa game, this is where it was a little frustrating for me, where wickets were falling and all of a sudden you needed to realise that, okay, this is not a 400, 350, potentially not even a 300 pitch. We need to slow down, consolidate a bit and get back into it. And then I really question, you know, for Trezai coming in and fishing for the ball from the get-go, he was already overrun a ball. I think he got a four against Maxwell. He could have maybe, you know, left the ball alone. And, you know, people don't tend to consider these defensive options in ODI cricket anymore because of all the T20 we play, I'm guessing. Even when it's in India, you know, when it's a pitch that's offering a bit to a lot of different bowlers you need to start thinking about this and considering these things and I think the unfortunate thing was they tried to stick so true to their Indian cricket band that they didn't learn from the lessons of the you know the semi-finalists the losing semi-finalists in particular um, in South Africa as to what could what they could adopt um, from their learnings. Something India could have done here was to channel their inner Andrew Simons you know, Seema was someone who never came out swinging, always took a few balls to get going, then all of a sudden would catch up between 20 to 50 runs. That was the type of innings that Kohli needed, that was the type of innings that India needed, either Shreyas or Rahul to play. It's hard to be critical of Rahul, as, you know, it did seem to be the right sort of innings required given the circumstances with the number of overs remaining. Um, where they didn't challenge themselves was Zampa, Marsh, Head, and to a degree, Maxwell's bowling as well. There's four fielders out. This is not the early 2000s where there's five fielders out after the 15-over mark. You've got gaps. You've got to get some boundaries here. And this is where Australia was brilliant, right? In the field, they stopped so many runs. India's a six-hitting nation. Probably needed to hit a few more in this um, Kohli-Rahul partnership. They really had to challenge themselves there. It's kind of like, once again, if you go back to the South Africa-Australia game, David Miller just absolutely cleaned up Zampa. And that's the sort of strategy they probably could have gone with. Because once again, Zampa wasn't bowling that good at all in this India game. I thought he was bowling quite a bit of rubbish, to be honest. I remember thinking as soon as I saw Coley tapping continuous balls to third man that this shot creates so much risk for so little reward. The innings was all of a sudden starting to look very uncoly like out of nowhere. Normally after scoring his 50, he would apply some pressure back on the bowling team and start to up the scoring rate. Execution's key and it's not too often you get to see Virat Kohli giving away like that, but as soon as his wicket fell, you knew it was going to be very hard to, you know, dig yourself out of this one. 
in the past, there's someone like, you know, MS Dhoni coming in and kind of saving the day nine out of ten times. And, you know, as an Australian Sri Lanka supporter, I've seen the bad side of that happened so many times in the past. But it was really interesting to see this Indian lineup had a massive weakness there. And, you know, normally Jadej is quite good. And, you know, they've got Sky and all these other guys. But no one could really play against the pressure. And I think that's one area India really needs to improve before their next ICC tournament, which is how do you absorb the pressure and perform as well as MS Dhoni did? But you need to have more players with the lineup performing like that. Now, this was a very interesting phase of the game for me. 28 overs in, Kohli gets out. India decides to send Jadeja instead of Sky. I have so much respect for Jadu, it's not even funny. I rate him so highly and will never forget his innings against New Zealand in the 2019 final that almost stole the game for them. But given the circumstances, India should have gone for Sky. An attacking batsman, probably just what they needed. And you know what? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's probably not your day because it was starting to look like that way anyway. Something else to consider is that you're not willing to send a frontline batsman to face 22 overs. If that's the case, should he be in your World Cup final team? Sky's not an Albi Morkel or a Shahid Afridi. He's much better than that. He's a solid batsman who's been in the form of his life. You know, PSMA mainly in the T20 stuff last two years, but he's an absolute legend when it comes to performing under pressure and playing really well, especially in the Indian grounds. Jadeja, for me, on the other hand, thrives on being that last batsman in, loves his scrap. So for me, those tactics didn't quite work out. I don't know who made those goals, whether it was Rohit or whether it was Dravid, but I think if they had their time again, they'd probably revisit that one. From here on, Australia just kept the strangle on, kept on bowling cutters, slow bounces, and anything and everything that was hard to score off in that rough surface. I think the ground dimensions also seem to be quite large compared to your traditional Indian grounds, which probably played into the hands of the Australians a little bit more, given how much cricket uh, they play in large ovals. I'll tell you what, I was so critical of Patrick Cummins' captaincy in the semi final, and I'm pretty sure I said if he continues this kind of captaincy that we're going to lose. My God, do I want to eat my words right now because he changed so much as a captain over, not overnight, but over game. It was insane. I wonder how much effort and um, support he got from the coach, Andrew McDonald, because I did see him on the boundary, which is very rare these days. For whatever reason, coaches don't do it more often. They 100% should. Send your captain to the boundary, have a chat with the coach, keep the tactics up, you know. I don't know if it's part of the rules or something like that. I don't think it would be because of his ordinary grand final. But yeah, it was really interesting how much he changed as a person. He seems to be either a very good listener or a very quick learner. And guess what? You know, from what we've seen, both of them seem to work quite well. So kudos to Patrick Cummins and his captaincy because... My God, he really impressed me. I'm really interested to see if he can continue to keep that level of captaincy up and if he will keep improving in that way as well. Because starting off, I felt like he was a very defensive captain and now he's starting to become more and more tagging and more your, you know, typical Australian captain. So 241 runs to chase in a World Cup final in the subcontinent. 
and any Sri Lankan cricket fan would know the script from here. The first few overs are going to be critical for whoever wants to win the game, and from there, if the two comes in, it'll become easier to bat. So ball one went through first and second slip, and you started wondering if India was switched on. There were so many balls in the Australian innings, even with Stark's pace, the ball didn't reach the keeper on the slip. And it's like they didn't learn from it. You know, they could have been closer. They could have been hungry for that catch. I both liked and didn't like that they started with Charmy. I liked it because it was an attacking move. They went to their strike bowler to get these key wickets. And it worked, you know, he got Warner in his first over. But I didn't like it because there was a reason why he was their first change bowler. Something else to consider was when messing around with a formula that clearly works is that are you impacting that other person that is also being impacted by this change? And there didn't seem to be any consideration of Mohamed Siraj's performance in this for the rest of the game, really, when putting Shami consistently on at the start of the innings. Especially after Shami took Warner's wicket, I felt they could have put Siraj on. If not, try him from the other side where Bumra was bowling from. You know, Bumra is someone who can bowl quite well at any stage of the game. Shami was struggling to control the swing and we all started to remember why he was a first change bowler all of a sudden. What was really frustrating to see with the Australian batsmen were how they were throwing away their wicket at all times. David Warner nicked one at the first ball and he didn't learn his lesson from there. And you know what? Attacking batsmen got a reputation off that and he's done quite well for his career. So you can't understand that. But then from his wicket, Mitchell Marsh didn't learn what his fate would be if he keeps doing the same thing. I liked Mitchell Marsh's attitude in the 10 or 15 runs that he did score. But he couldn't be throwing his bat at every single thing. Like the first four he hit was a really nice shot. The one he got out for was way too far from his body. And then, you know, a lot of people were complaining, saying how could Smith not have reviewed that and things like that. I thought he was out for all money. I had one friend who messaged in one of the WhatsApp groups saying, I reckon that was outside the line. But outside of that one person, I am yet to hear anyone who was genuinely convinced that he was not out. It looked like it was out to me. It didn't look like it was outside the line. But you know what? It turned out to be he didn't review, which was probably the right thing to do by the team. Obviously not the right thing to do by the circumstances once we have hindsight and we saw the replay. But yeah, from there, it was really interesting how well Australia accumulated the game. All of a sudden, we come to the final partnership of the game that, you know, at the time, none of us knew this was going to be the final partnership, but it turned out to be. So that was Travis Head and Marnus Labuschagne batting together. And I thought India really missed a trick in this section of the game. Travis Head was batting incredibly well. I don't think there would have been too many things you'd be able to do. He was hitting sixes against Kul, Kul, um, Kuldeep Yadav when he was pitching on leg stump, bowling over the wicket. That's very hard to do at the best of times, and he was just cleaning them out of the park. But then when bowling to Labushen, this is where Rohit Sharma could have added more pressure. He continuously had mid-off and um, mid-on, down the ground and long-off and long-on. I, th- I thought he could have brought them in. And the other thing is like, you know what, if you want to win this game... You have to challenge these guys to get out of their comfort zone and 
try to score against the pressure. There wasn't too many questions asked from Labuschagne, and he was going at around, you know, 50, 60 strike rate anyway. You should have brought in more fielders. Keep the couple that you think you can get a catch from out in the long boundaries. But outside of that, build the pressure up, keep bowling to them, give them a single towards the last two balls of the over, and just, you know, rinse, repeat, do it again. And they didn't really do that. They just kept on letting him bat at the 60 strike rate, which was um, 58 even, which was enough because Travis said was going so well. You just had to bowl as many balls as you can at Labuschagne in that situation and give him as, as little runs as possible. From this point onwards, the game was mainly on autopilot, really. You know, you didn't see too many things being tried against these batsmen. And once again, to be fair, I didn't think there was too many things you could try against Travis Head. Everything they tried, he seemed to be ready for it and just whacked it out of the park. Um, But, you know, there was that one phase where Boomer came back in and bowled Yorkers and things like that. And it was disappointing not to see those kind of things from Shami and Siraj. And I thought Siraj's old ball bowling was really poor like yeah I get it you're a very good swing bowler but you can't be that much of a one trick pony as well you need to have some kind of other trick whether it's an outside off stomp Yorker six times in a row like Kulasekar did um, a couple of times in his life or whatever it was but he just had to do something another tactic that they could have tried was once they have Labuschagne on strike try a bit of bounces, maybe back-to-back Yorkers and things like that. And like I said, Bumra did try the short, um, the Yorker tactic, but I felt like they just could have roughed him up a bit more, come around the wicket, you know, go at his ribcage, try something, try get a unfortunate or like unintended hook shot from him. Don't let this guy just hit a straight bat every single time for the best part of 33 overs, 34 overs. And, you know, in all honesty, even if they tried all of that, I think Australia would have still ended up winning because Labuschagne was looking really in the zone and he knew what his job was and he was doing his job. But had they got that other wicket, all of a sudden you get you get exposed to Glenn Maxwell, you get exposed to Josh Inglis, and then after it's the bowlers and, you know, it's a big ask to ask um, Pat Cummins and Stark to perform in a grand final like they have done in the past for semifinals and other games. So it would have been interesting. And the one time the umpiring decision did um, come into play, it went in Manus Labuschagne's favour. I truly believe he's the luckiest player I've ever seen play the game. But you know what? Good on him. He makes his own luck through hard work and keeps at it. And then all of a sudden, blink of an eye, and Australia won the game. Travis Head went absolutely crazy towards the end, just creaming them. It was so unfortunate that he couldn't be there to, you know, hit the winning runs. But you know what? You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I think he showed what his true colour is like and what a team player he was as well and how he rises to the occasion. It was one of the all-time best um, cricket World Cup final innings for me. There's been some very dominating displays, especially from Australian players in the first innings in the past. I just can't remember anything from a second innings point of view um, that's happened as well as that. And to be fair, they haven't had to chase much in the second innings in the past when you consider 1999 to be the only other time. 
So at the start of this podcast, I asked the question, so was it luck or was Pat Cummins a tactical genius? And for me, I don't think he's just a tactical genius just yet, at least. He'll have to prove a lot more than just this one. Even though it was a World Cup final, I'm being very harsh on him. He'll have to prove his tactical geniusness over time for us through a lot of series wins. And then all of a sudden, we'll agree that, you know what, he was a tactical genius. But for me, this one, he was a really good listener. He's listened to the right people, the right tactics, and gone, okay, this is our game plan, and this is what we're going to do. So he seems to be a good executor of a game plan for me, rather than a tactical genius. I think if he had a lot more challenging situations within the game, it would have been interesting to see how he reacts to them. Whereas for me, in that game, there was only really one challenge, which was when Rohit Sharma was going crazy at the start and just hitting a lot of sixes so what does this mean for all of the aging stars like Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli and the rest of the Indian team I think I think it's quite um, you know a little sad looking back into it I think it's an end of an era I don't think they're going to win too many trophies uh, from now on Virat Kohli still might, you know, he's, what, 34, probably has another World Cup in him if he maintains his fitness, which I don't see him not doing. I think it's done for Rohit Sharma. It'll be interesting to see where KL Rahul's career goes from here as well. And like in any sport, once you don't win that pinnacle game, that final grand final, it becomes so much harder and sometimes there's consequences in the next four years. Um, whereas when you're that team that ends up winning, especially out of nowhere, you end up prospering for the next four years as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens to all these guys. I think when Rishabh Pant comes back in the picture, it'll be interesting to see if KL Rahul has a position or not. KL Rahul really went to his test match game style as well in this game and I don't think that's going to sit too well with a lot of people. Um, who else is there? I think Shubman Gill's a really exciting one to watch. He'll probably end up captaining this Indian team in the future. And that's an interesting topic because I think India has to start thinking about who that next captain is now. And there is a bit of a gap there. There's a bit of an experience and age gap between who's there from a experience point of view when you think of the Rohit Sharmas, the Kohli's and then the um, Jadejas to the Gills, the Ayers, the really young guys who were there. So KL Rahul's probably the in, in between guy but I don't personally rate him that much as a captain, game winner, match breaker or anything like that. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the captaincy might end up going back to Coley, is my gut feeling. And if not, they'll have to get one of the young guys to stand up. But, you know, it's all exciting. And um, a brownie sky is going to be captain in the T20s that's starting this week. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. But he's quite old as well. He's not the youngest fella. That wraps up episode two of Armchair Cricketer. So the Cricket World Cup might be done, but we're not quite done yet. So in the next episode, I'm going to have a guest and we're going to dissect this grand final a bit further and also discuss our favourite points of the Cricket World Cup as well. And also talk a bit more about the 50 format in general and what does this mean. And then, you know, probably a little bit about what else is there in this summer of cricket that's coming up in Australia. Anyways, on that note, see you soon.